Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. William Carey is a name that many of you would be familiar with. And if you're not, you should be familiar with him. He's uh, been given the title, the Father of Modern Missions. Spent 40 years as a missionary in India, laboring in the mission field, of course, never once taking deputation. Once he left England to go to India, for 40 years he was there, never to return. And he's kind of an unlikely candidate for the title of the father of modern missions. I mean, he started as a, as a fairly uh, impoverished shoemaker in England. As a, as a teenager, he started off as a shoemaker and ended up as the father of modern missions. I was reading a little bit about him, and it says that he is described as having stirred the imaginations of Christians and showed by his own humble example what could and should be done to bring a lost world to Christ. Although he faced many oppressive trials during his 40-year 40, uh, missionary career, he demonstrated a dogged determination to succeed, and he never gave up. What was his secret? Well, in his own words, he said, I can plot. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. You know, I think that's an encouragement to every believer here. You know, not every single one of us can be the smartest in the room. Not every one of us can be the most talented in the room. Not every one of us can be the most charismatic or, or, or the, the best leader or everything. But every single one of us, we can be consistent. Amen? Every single one of us, we can plod along every single day. I think we all know about the story of the tortoise and the hare. Slow and steady wins the race. And that was the secret to William Carey. Carey's life profoundly illustrates the limitless potential of a very ordinary individual. He was a man who, apart from his unqualified commitment to God, no doubt would have lived a very mediocre existence. I think that's really true of every single one of us, which is, apart from our unqualified commitment to God, we all live a very mediocre existence. Apart from the commitment that we give to the Lord to serve Him, no matter where it is that we serve, we will live a very mediocre existence. He, as I mentioned, was a shoemaker. He started at the age of 16, and, he, and that's what he did for 12 years. He was married before the age of 20, and he was saved also as a teenager. And I was, uh, it was interesting to me what it said. It says that as a teenager, after he got saved, he devoted his leisure time to Bible study and lay ministries. Hey, I think that's a challenge to every young person here today. Amen? Hey, I think that every single young person here is tempted with, oh, there are so many other things that are going out there in the world, and i got to try the latest uh, food, and i got to go see the latest thing, and the, and the newest exhibit that's coming into town, and the, the new experience, and all of these different things. But William Carey, what he did was he devoted his leisure time to Bible study and lay ministries. I think each and every one of us could devote a little bit more time to Bible study. Amen? I think every single one of us could spend a little bit more time getting into the Word of God. 
I was reading that the earliest years of his marriage were filled with hardship and poverty, and yet he continued in his studies and, and in lay preaching, and at the age of 25, he took the call to be a preacher at a tiny little Baptist church before moving into a larger church in Leicester. And it was during his time as a pastor as he continued to study the Word and, and began to read some books, some other books about uh, different travels around the world. He read Captain Cook's Voyages. And, and he became convinced that foreign missions were the central responsibility of the church. And it sounds strange to us today, but his ideas were revolutionary. Many, if not most, of, of the preachers in his day and age in the 18th century, many of them believed that the heathen, the lost, were of no concern of theirs. Which just goes to prove that just because someone goes to church doesn't mean that they are Christ-like. Hey, it takes more than coming to church to be more like Jesus. And after publishing a book on the matter of missions, he preached a message at a Baptist Association meeting in Nottingham, England, where he challenged his audience with this phrase, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. William Carey challenged the people, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The very next day, the ministers that had gathered together at that meeting who had heard that message, they formed a new mission board called the Baptist Missionary Society. The decision was not made lightly. Many of the ministers were living on very meager incomes and, and involvement in foreign missions meant tremendous financial sacrifices from both them and their congregations. But I want us to focus in a little bit on that phrase. I'll be using it several times this morning. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Because when he preached that message to that association meeting, guess what passage he used as his text? Guess what passage he used during that time? He used the very passage that we are looking at this morning. Isaiah chapter 54, verses number 2 and three. Let's read them. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. When you read about the patriarchs in the Old Testament and you read about uh, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they lived in tents. And we know about that. And they, they lived a kind of nomadic lifestyle. Of course, Abraham, it would have made sense for him because he was traveling from his home to the promised land. And so whether or not he lived in a house or not, he would have converted to this kind of a home, having a tent as his home. And, and of course, they, they had sheep and they had flocks that they needed to watch over. And, and in a semi-arid place, as is the promised land, they would have had to travel around a little bit here and there to get fresh grass and whatnot. So they would have traveled around quite a bit. They were shepherds, and so they needed to live in tents. And, and the thing about a, a tent is, if you need to expand your home, it's fairly easy. If you're going to expand your home, which is a tent, all you need to do is grab some more fabric. You just sew it onto the end of one of the sides of the tent. You just extend the ropes. You get a couple of extra poles. You prop it up, and now you have a bigger home. 
That's really what the phrase is talking about. Enlarge the place of thy tent. That's really what is going on. Wouldn't that be nice if a home improvement were just that simple? You know, here, if you want to expand your home, you got all sorts of permits that you need to go through and all sorts of different things that you need to put into the home and, and things like that. But in this day and age, it would have been fairly simple. You just get some more fabric, you just kind of sew it together on the end, and then, and then you make it larger. But why would you enlarge your tent? God tells the people here, enlarge the place of your tent. Why would you need to enlarge your tent? Well, obviously, you would enlarge your tent if your family got bigger, right? You wouldn't have a five-bedroom tent if it were just a young married couple with no kids, right? You just have maybe a one-bedroom tent. But as your family grew, then you would need a larger tent. As you had more children and your family size grew, you would need to expand the place of your tent. And so you would begin to do that. You know, my, my wife, as many of you know, she's uh, due to give birth next month. And, and after we found out that she was expecting, we, we began to start looking for some things, right? We have a crib for, for Skylar right now, but now we need to get a bed because we have a new addition that's coming into the home. And so we need to find another place. And so we began to look for some different things and began to buy some different things. We began to look on the internet and, and we bought a bed and uh, I'm going to be putting it together soon and putting it in a room and Skylar will soon be sleeping there and she'll have a new place and, and uh, baby number two, she's going to have her own place as well. And so when you, when you begin to add to your family, you begin to think about what are the needs and what do we need to do and, and uh, should we expand our home and all different sorts of things like that. But when you see this passage here again, if you read the verses with me, who is told to enlarge the place of their tent? It's not the family of four that's about to become a family of five. It's not a family of seven that's about to become eight. If you read in verse number one, it says, Sing, O, what's the next word? Barren. You know who is told to enlarge the place of the tent? The barren, who had no kids, who was not expecting to have any kids. This is like a couple who is, who's, who's, who's married and, and they don't have any kids and, and they begin to buy all different sorts of things. They buy a stroller and they buy a car seat and they buy a crib and they buy baby clothes and diapers and a friend would notice that and say, hey, oh, I see you're buying all of these things. Are you expecting? No. Well, why are you buying them? That's a great question to ask. If you were to buy those things, the natural assumption is that you are expecting to have a child, right? That's the natural expectation. But God is telling the barren, someone who has no kids, who's not expecting to have any kids, to enlarge the place of their tent. She is told to do some home remodeling. It says, stretch forth the curtain of thine habitation. It says, get the curtains uh, build onto it, attach more, get it longer. And says, spare not, lengthen thy cords. Hey, don't be timid about it. Don't be tentative. Don't hold back. Be generous. Don't hold back at all. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords. The, the ropes that would be used to hold down the tent. Hey, 
let it out. Spread out as far as you can. And she is told not just to make her tent bigger, but to make them permanent. Strengthen thy stakes. Hey, don't just, you know, lightly tap them into the ground just in case things don't go well. You can pull them back up and kind of roll back the curtain and put the stakes back where they were. Strengthen the stakes. Drive them into the ground. Make them permanent. This is what our tent will be and what it will look like. Because God is going to bless. That's the idea. The idea, uh, the idea is this. Hey, I don't have any kids. I'm not expecting any kids. There's no, there's nothing there. But God says the blessing's coming, so I'm going to get ready. That's the idea of enlarge the place of our tent. You know, the message that, that uh, William Carey, he preached, he preached about missions. He preached about reaching the lost world with the gospel. And he used the phrase, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And you know what? He had not yet been to the mission field at that time. He was literally in the exact same place as all of the other people. Hey, we, we know what we need to do. Hey, let's enlarge the place of our tent. So this morning, as we look at the theme of enlarging our tent, enlarge the place of our tent, I think we can also use this phrase, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. In 2019, are you expecting great things from God? What are you expecting this year? What are you hoping for this year? What are your assumptions this year? I think God wants us to expect great things from Him. Amen? And I think if we expect great things from God, we will attempt great things for God. So the question is, are you expecting great things from God? And will you attempt great things for God? You know, I see three truths about great expectations here in this passage that I want to take a look at this morning. Regarding expectations, expectation despite present situations. Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 1, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, Thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Notice the people that God is telling. He is telling the barren. He is telling those that have nothing. They have no prior proof, no expectation, nothing. They have nothing. And God is asking them, challenging them, telling them, enlarge the place of your tent. Hey, build out with the expectation that God will bless. William Carey, he went to India. Guess who else was there? Really nobody. Nobody else was there. Nobody else was serving. That's why he is called the father of modern missions. He was the first one to go. And many other missionaries followed along and went after him as well. There was nothing there when he first went there. It's recorded that for the first seven years of his time in India, he was not able to lead a single soul to Christ. Seven years. Can you imagine going to a foreign field with the expectation of seeing God to bless, but for the first seven years, he really didn't see any fruit because there was nothing there. There was no biblical foundation, no teaching, no other missionaries, nobody was saved. There was nothing. 
But still, William Carey, he enlarged his tent. And God wants us as believers to also enlarge our tent. Even if you feel like there's nothing here. Hey, I got nothing going on in my life. I don't really have any reason why I would expect God to bless. I think God still wants us to expect great things from him. Maybe when you look at your financial situation, you look at your financial, you know, your logbooks, and you think, there's really nothing there. We can still expect God to do great things, amen? Hey, you might look at your family situation and look at the spiritual condition of it, and you think, oh, you know, I really have a burden for them, and I want them to do some great things, but I, I really don't see too much going on there. We can still expect great things from God. Hey, you might look at the ministry that you're involved in and, and feel like, you know what, I just don't really see too much going on. I don't really uh, see a lot of activity, a lot of life, a lot of enthusiasm or things like that. I think we can still expect great things from God. And notice that God wants those same barren people to be joyful. In verse number one, again, if you look at it, it says, Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. God wants us to be joyful with the expectation that God will bless. Knowing the promise of God, we can be joyful. And you might be looking at your current situation. I don't know everybody's situation and, and every circumstance that's going on in your life. And you might be looking at all of the problems and all of the things that aren't going right and all of the things that aren't there. Sometimes it's so easy for us to notice the things that aren't there, right? You might be looking at all of the things that aren't there, but let's look at the one who is there. We have a God who can do it all. Hey, if we're expecting great things from God, you might look at your current situation and not really see a whole lot going on, but we should still enlarge our tent. We can still expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You know, all of this reminds me of the story of Moses. It reminds me about Moses when he was in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush. It reminds me when he meets with God and God speaks to him and God tells him to go back to Egypt to deliver his people. You remember this story? You remember the story about Moses? He's there. He's been watching sheep for 40 years. He had run away from Egypt and now he's there. As I'm sure his expectation is, there's nothing here. That's it. That, this is the end of my life. This is just what I'm going to do for the rest of my days. And God meets with him. And he says, I want you to deliver my people. And you notice that Moses gives a couple of exceptions, right? He says, oh, you know, I can't really go. Oh, they won't believe me. Oh, I'm slow of speech. And he gives all of these excuses. And, and uh, who's, who am I going to say is, is sending me? And he has all of these things. And I love what the response of God is to Moses. He says, oh, they won't believe me. And God says, what is in your hand? And you know what Moses says? He says, I have a rod. In modern day terms, we would say it this way. I have a stick. Moses says, oh, in my hand, this is all I got. All I got is a stick. I got nothing. But God plus nothing can deliver a people from Egypt. He had a rod, he had nothing. And God says, throw it on the ground and I'll make it into a serpent. You just have your hand, you, you have nothing in it, you just stick it inside your clothing and pull it out and I'll make it leprous, white as snow. 
We can expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Number two, I see expectation overcoming previous shortcomings. In verse number three, I want us to take a look at these two verses, verse three and verse number four. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Here Isaiah is going to give three situations that compare with the state of the nation of Israel. We can expect great things for God, uh, from God, and we can attempt great things for God. We can enlarge our tent, overcoming previous shortcomings. You might have some past desertion. If you look at the end of verse number three, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. You know, I think we've all read about some great cities that used to be there, but really aren't there anymore. Right? I think every single one of us has read about cities. Those of you might have read about the city of Carthage, right? Rome and Carthage used to be rival powers there in the Mediterranean Sea. And, and Rome conquered Carthage. And Carthage isn't really a city that really is there at all. I mean, there's a city that's in the area, but Carthage is really gone. You know, people go to Rome all the time and they see all of the things and they go and visit Rome. And Rome's always been a powerhouse, but Carthage is it's gone. You know, you might have seen some cities like Machu Picchu, and, and the, there used to be a city there, but it's not there anymore. And there's some cities all over the place that were one time built up to be great cities, and now they're really not there anymore. You know, in, in, in the Bible, you read about a city called the city of Tyre. It was a great city. It was a powerful city. It was an unusual city. It was a city where uh, part of the city was on land, and part of the city was about a half mile off of the coast. And so there was some tremendous power that was there because you couldn't conquer the city necessarily by land because everybody would just retreat onto the island offshore, just a little bit offshore. And they had a powerful navy. But where is Tyre today? You don't really hear about it. It was conquered. You know, a general came through and, and built out the land from land all the way out that half mile to the city and conquered that city. You know, there's a lot of cities that might have been torn down, that built up and then torn down. And you might have something in your life that in the past you look back and you say, wow, that was a great time. Wow, we had some great spiritual victories. Wow, we were really doing something for the Lord, but look what happened. Maybe you were part of a great ministry and you saw a lot of thriving, you know, individuals and a lot of people gathering and serving the Lord. And, and then you look back on it now and you say, where are those people? And, and you don't really see it anymore. And you could see it kind of crumbling down and leaving. And maybe that gets you a little bit, you know, down and discouraged about serving the Lord. But God says, even if you have a desolate city, at one time it was thriving, and, and maybe it's been broken down and lost the place of your tent, God can build it back up again. We also see some past dishonor in verse number four. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. I think every single one of us here, no matter how young you might be, Every single one of us can look back on our younger years and ask, what was I thinking? You ever been there? You ever look back at an old picture? You know, I have all of my digital pictures that they're stored, you know, online. And uh, they do this thing where it reminds you of things that happened years ago. 
right? You, you've been there? You know, I think it happens on Facebook. Hey, this happened five years ago. This happened seven years ago. This happened two years ago. And sometimes it brings back fond memories. And sometimes I feel like, stop reminding me of that, okay? All right? I, I remember that. I was there. I did that. I'd rather not remember that anymore. You know, I think every single one of us can look back on some past decisions, things that we did, things that we said, ways that we thought, ways that we lived, and look back and say, why did I do that? Oh, that was such a big mistake. And sometimes we think that our past will hold us back from serving God in the future. But God says, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. Every single one of us has made mistakes. You know, I was reading about uh, this company called Excite. Has anybody heard of this company before? It's like a website. All right. I didn't think so because I hadn't heard of it either. But it used to be a big website, I guess. In 1999, two men who had started a small company approached this larger company looking to sell their product. Hey, we're going to sell basically our, our product to you. And the CEO, George Bell, he looked at that, and they wanted a million dollars for it. And he didn't really seem to care. He was like, yeah, I'm not really that interested. And so these two men, they dropped their asking price by 25%. They went down from a million dollars to $750,000. Still, he rejected it. You know the two men were Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Their product was a search engine called Google. Google today is valued at $787 billion. That's a mistake. Amen? That was a big mistake. You remember Kodak? Remember that company Kodak? Remember Kodak moments? Right? You might have some of those. So Kodak moments. Who buys Kodak cameras anymore? Right? Nobody. You know why? because they missed it when they made that transition from film to digital, right? Remember, you used to have all the Kodak film, and, and you'd have the cameras, and, and you would do all of that. They missed that transition from film to digital. You know what the real shame of it, though, is? The real shame of it is the first company to come out with a digital camera was Kodak. They came up with the digital camera, and they said, oh, we don't want to lose out on our film camera business and they never jumped on board, and they got left behind. You know, for most Christians, I think that's the case. It's not that we couldn't do it. We already have it, but we're holding on to some things from the past. We're looking back to the past. We're looking back to the good old days. We're looking back to some different things, but God can let us forget the shame of our youth. In Acts chapter number 15, Paul and Barnabas are, they're about to go out on their second missionary journey. Many of you would know that, uh, that Paul went on four missionary journeys. Four separate times he traveled throughout the Mediterranean area trying to start churches and encourage some different churches. And in Acts chapter number 15, he's about to go on his second one. The first one, he went throughout the area of Turkey, kind of the southeastern part of Turkey uh, that was close to, uh, you know, uh, kind of like uh, Damascus and all of those areas. Uh, so he was over there and he, said, he had started some churches and he said, let's go back. He and Barnabas had started those churches. Let's go back. Let's encourage some, uh, some of those believers. Let's see how they're doing and, and teach them. And then, and then they would also start some other churches. But there was a big division between the two because Barnabas wanted to bring his nephew Mark. 
And uh, Mark had gone along with them on their first journey, but he had left them in the area of Pamphylia. He had quit on them. He went home. He said, I can't take it anymore. I'm done with this ministry thing. I'm done with this mission thing. I'm not doing this anymore. And so he went back home. And, and Paul remembered that. And he said, hey, you know what? This guy is a quitter. This guy gave up on me. I can't lean on this guy. I can't depend upon this guy. And, and so he said, we're not taking him. And the division was so sharp that Paul said, all right, I'm not going with you, Barnabas, either. And so he took Silas, and they went on the second missionary journey. Barnabas took Mark, and they went on a separate journey. That was the first time that we see and hear about Mark. In Paul's last letter recorded in, uh, that we have, that's in the Bible, in the book of 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy to bring Mark, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Hey, you might have made some mistakes in the past. You might have dropped the ball in the past. Maybe even like Mark, maybe you quit. Maybe somebody was leaning on you, somebody was depending upon you, and you just, you just gave out and said, I can't do it anymore, I'm not doing it anymore. But God can still use you. You can still be used of God. You can still enlarge your tent. You can still expect great things from God. You can still attempt great things for God. God's not done with you yet. Thirdly, I see a past disgrace at the end of verse number four, and shalt not reproach, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Widows in the in the Bible times were the most helpless of individuals in society. They were the weakest link, they were on the lowest rung. They had no way to support themselves. They had no social standing. They had nothing, really. You know, before, obviously, a widow would have been married. Maybe uh, some of these individuals would have had some standing, would have had some stability, would have had some safety and security. But as a widow, it was a very insecure life. And God says, you shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. You know, maybe in some days gone by, you felt, you know, vibrant, you felt strong, you felt secure, but now you're not feeling so strong anymore. Maybe you're feeling just a little bit weaker. Maybe you feel a little helpless in your situation. I think every single one of us, to a certain extent, encounters some of those thoughts, helplessness with, with uh, family relations, helpless in, in uh, you know, controlling, uh, you know, some situation some helplessness with dealing with temptation, some helplessness here and there. I think every single one of us could, could understand that. I think Moses understood that. Moses, he had tried with all of his might to free his people, and it didn't work, did it? I'm sure that Moses felt like he was a big failure. I'm sure that Moses felt like, I let my people down, I couldn't do it. But you know what? God used Moses in the greatest way, didn't he? He took him and he brought him back to Egypt and he delivered his people from Pharaoh. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. 
We see that we can have an expectation despite present situations. Maybe you're looking around at your current situation and you feel like, I don't really see anything. There's not really a whole lot going on. We can have expectation overcoming previous shortcomings. Maybe in the past you made some decisions. Maybe you quit. Maybe you stopped serving. Maybe you stopped doing these things that you knew that you were supposed to do. Maybe you made some poor decisions. We can still expect great things from God. Because number three, expectation comes from a powerful sovereign. Verse number five. This is the reason why we can enlarge our tent. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Moses didn't deliver his people. He didn't deliver the nation of Israel because he was strong. He delivered the nation of Israel because God was strong. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 20. In speaking to Moses, he said, And I will stretch out my hand. And smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Notice the emphasis that God gives to Moses. I will do the work. Amen? You know, I'm glad that we don't need to do the work. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. You know, our job is to enlarge the tent. It's God's job to fill it. Our job is to enlarge the tent. Our job is to get ready for the blessing. Our job is, if you will, to get the biggest bucket possible underneath the spout of blessing with the expectation that God will do some great things. You may not have anything now, but what you do have is the Lord. And that's what matters. In this verse, in verse number five, I see four descriptions of the God who can we see that he is a committed creator. For thy maker is thine husband. You know, the marriage vow is till death do us part. You know, the thing about God is God will never die. God will never leave us nor forsake us. You know, we can have some great expectations knowing that God will always be there. He is also a conquering captain. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. That name indicates that he is the captain of the army of heaven. You know, you've read, read about the stories of some of the angels in the Old Testament, how they would go through and kill 185,000 in one night, a single angel. He's the captain of that army. What kind of an army is that? It's an amazing army. And God is the Lord of the host. God can conquer. God is a conqueror. That's why the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him. Jesus, as the song that we heard earlier said, Jesus never fails. We see that he is a rich redeemer. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, he is the one that bought us back. You ever been into a place that didn't have any price tags? I've been into a place like that one time. And I was told, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. All right? If you walk into a store and you don't see any price tags, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. All right? And I learned that out very quickly. I looked in, I, I saw price, no price tags, and I was like, okay, I, I think I know what kind of place I'm in. But for God, who is the Redeemer of the, the Holy One of Israel, 
He doesn't need to look at the price tag. He can pay for it all. There's nothing that costs too much for God. God can take care of it. He is also the governing God. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. He is over all. If there were any area that were left uncovered, it is covered by this one. God is God of the whole earth. You know, this year in 2019, let's enlarge our tent. And let's expect some great things from God. Expect some great things from God in your personal life. To change you in a way that's never been changed before. To work in and through you in a way that God has never worked in and through you before. Hey, let's expect some great things in our family. The relationships that are there. Serving together. Living for God together. Hey, let's expect some great things in the ministry that we're a part of here in Bible Baptist Church. If you're here in the church and you're serving and you're involved in some area, hey, let's expect some great things. Let's see God to grow in the ministry and add some people, see some people to be saved, add some people to the church through baptism, see them to be discipled and to grow and, and to reach some other people. Let's expect great things from God. That's where faith comes in. Because it takes a lot of faith to enlarge the place of our tent, not having seen God filling it yet. But that, I think that that's what God wants for us this year. Let's enlarge the place of our tent. What are you expecting this year? Let's not presume to know what God would do, but let's expect some great things from God this year. And when we expect some great things from God, we'll attempt great things for God.